On your mark. At the 2009 World Athletics Championships in Berlin, the field for the 100 meter final included the fastest man in history. He smiled at the camera and produced his famous pose before accepting the invitation to his blocks. His nervous rivals were beholden to superstition. They jumped on the spot, fiddled with jewellery, sipped water and prayed. Set. Over 50,000 fans at the Olympia Stadion held their breath and their phones. They were anticipating the new world record that a global audience of 95 million were about to witness. The sprinters were poised. The world now waited on one man. His name was Alan. This is Unsung. Introducing the sports stars you don't know, telling the stories you can't miss. We'll look beyond the headlines and behind the athletes to shine a rare spotlight on the integral men and women in the shadows interwoven in the fabric of sport. This week, we're featuring athletic starters. Written and narrated by Alexis James, this episode is called Start Me Up. You may not have heard of Alan Bell, but you've almost certainly heard his gun. Now in his 70s, he remains the highest-ranked chief starter in the UK and one of the most experienced in the world. As well as the World Championships, he's fired the starting pistol at the Olympics, the Commonwealth Games, the World Indoor Championships and the European Championships. It makes him the only international starter to have officiated at every major athletics meeting. And it means that when Usain Bolt cemented his greatness in Berlin, Alan had the best seat in the house. Will probably be the greatest moment of my life, with the exception of, you know, the birth of my kids. You know, you fire a gun, the World Championship final, which is not a bad bonus in itself. And then the big fella from Jamaica just, he doesn't create history, he, he rewrites it with 958. And if you think about it, you know, nobody's been anywhere near since. Hanging on the wall of his study is the certificate that displays Bolt's name and the astonishing world record time. As starter, Alan's signature also appears on there. Um, that's my 17th world record. So it's not a unique experience. And then I've got um, I've got there on the wall one of the warm-up vests that he wore in Berlin that my son tells me should be on eBay. And I've, I've suggested over my dead body, but I think that could be arranged, actually. <laughs> Alan is now in his 46th season as a starter. 18 of which he's featured on the elite list of officials for World Athletics. A former high jumper who represented England at amateur level in the early 1970s, Alan's gunslinging journey began when he was forced to retire in his mid-twenties. I'm a knackered athlete. When I was 24, I was actually an aspiring international high jumper and was a, a national standard by UK standards in the early 70s. You know, I had a couple of um, representative vests for what was then the three years of England. And then I had a full rupture of the Achilles tendon in my takeoff foot. His club, North Shields Polytechnic, invited their despondent high jumper to help out at a youth track meet. Alan agreed expecting to judge the competition in which he'd previously excelled. Instead, the club secretary, a local bank manager called John Kennedy, had other ideas. And I thought immediately he's going to say, will you judge the high jump? And he opened a briefcase and he gave me a pair of guns and he said, go and start the races. 
And I looked at him and I said, Mr. Kennedy, I haven't got a bloody clue how to do that. And he, he just, he said, don't worry, the kids won't know. <laughs> Almost half a century on, Alan has pulled more triggers than Clint Eastwood. A role that once dovetailed neatly with his day jobs, first as a PA teacher, then a school inspector, and then finally, International Development Director at the Youth Sport Trust, has now outlasted all of them. And there's no sign of him putting those guns back in the briefcase just yet. The voluntary role has allowed him to travel to over 70 countries, and in 2022, he headed to meets in India and Finland. It may be unpaid, but the role of international starter comes with no shortage of perks. I've never made any money from it. The benefits have been, I've travelled the world, business class flights, right? I've stayed in some of the world's best hotels. I've worked with legends. And while it might have been his old club who gave him his first taste for gunpowder, there is another person that Alan credits for his well-thumbed passport. For if it wasn't for the antics of a stroppy American sprinter back in 2003, the role that Alan has made his own may never have existed. John Drummond insisted he didn't move. And then, he didn't move. He lay on the track with his hands behind his head and the 2003 World Championships in Paris descended into a French farce. Officials had adjudged that the American, along with Jamaican Asafa Powell, had jumped the gun in heat two of this highly anticipated 100-metre quarter-final. It was the second false start of the race, following Dwight Thomas's over-eager hamstrings the first time around. And as per a controversial new rule, one false start would see the entire field caution, regardless of who committed the offence. If any sprinter so much as sneezed on their blocks thereafter, they'd be instantly eliminated. It was a rule as unpopular with the public as it was with the athletes, and a furious Drummond found himself with a stadium of allies. It all started with what appeared to be a second false start in quarterfinal number two, John Drummond was given the red card. He refused to leave the track. He claimed he did not move. With video replays on the big screen appearing inconclusive, the whistling French crowd were backing the American. But, unlike the baying mob, frantic officials had proof of the unfair advantage. Starting block sensors showed that the pair had moved too soon, but Drummond refused to accept the decision. And the French started disqualified him and Drummond wouldn't leave the track. He laid down on the track and he, he stayed there for 25 minutes. Finally, Drummond pulled down his top and strutted off. His eyes were bulging, his head was shaking and his bottom lip was quivering like a sulking toddler. And just when it seemed that the drama was over, he changed his mind and he returned to the blocks. The French, never shy of sticking two fingers up to the establishment, loved it. The beleaguered officials, not so much. Drummond! lay down on the track, he appealed to the crowd, then he went back, shook hands with all of the other participants, seemed to be getting their support. The decision was made to postpone the race and run the two remaining quarterfinal heats instead. The sprinters walked off to a chorus of Gallic defiance. When the six remaining entrants were eventually able to return, some tinker had the dubious idea of showing Drummond on the big screen. He was at the nearby practice track, and he was meant to be warming down. Instead, he was weeping in the arms of his coach. And now, after 
delaying the starts of quarterfinal number two. They have the runners back in the track with the exception of John Drummond, who is over in the warm-up area, and it's a disconsolate John Drummond in your picture right now. And, oh, does this smack of a potential lawsuit? The irate Parisians continue to pull for their guy. And like Drummond, they refused to take their orders when a forlorn starter pleaded for silence. And I think all the athletes now are just pleading with the crowd to keep the jeering down for them to race. The crowd is obviously disappointed with the two disqualifications. No matter how much the crowd complain, you're not going to get Don Drummond back in because he's totally destroyed on the warm-up track. Um, and he's not going to suddenly come back in and run. So they've got to accept the fact that maybe the officials have made a decision. There's John warming down now, so he's not going to come back on. This race has got to take place. It's as simple as that. The crowd is reacting each time the runners settle into the blocks. Well, this can go on all night, can't it? Eventually, Atto Bolden crossed the line in first place, 51 minutes after the race should have been run. The new false start rule had been intended to reduce delays and keep television networks sweet. Instead, with the schedule in disarray and advertisers puce with rage, the Stade de France had become the scene of the slowest race in 100-metre history. Now, that in itself is embarrassing, but it's horrendous for international athletics because you're, you're trying to coordinate time in Sydney with live television with San Francisco. So throw the schedule at 25 minutes. And I mean, not notwithstanding the scheduling, but can you imagine what the advertisers think? if you've got to pull their advert. Athletics president Lamin Diak felt that the incident had brought shame on the sport. That's right, the guy who was jailed for corruption in 2020. He was sat next to Olympics chief Jacques Rogg and they witnessed the whole charade from the stands. Diak was particularly frustrated with local starters who appeared tame and toothless. The then president, the uh, impeccably behaved Mr Diak, Apparently went back to the hotel on a rant and said, we're never going to have major meetings, local officials starting races again. We're going to have an elite group of officials who are going to be able to do the job. They decided to recruit the best starters in the world to travel wherever it was deemed necessary in order to handle troublemakers like Drummond. And they knew exactly where to start. For that same year, the World Indoor Championships had been held in Birmingham. During the 200-metre final, Britain's Alan Condon had been disqualified for a false start, but he refused to leave. Sound familiar? Well, on this occasion, the chief starter was a towering northerner with a buzz cut and a voice as loud as his gun. I'm six foot three tall and I weigh about 14 stone, all right? So I'm, um, I'm not easily intimidated. And within my portfolio of characteristics is... I do know how to intimidate. I just got in this guy's face very quietly, knowing it was international television, and just basically said, you're going to leave the track or we're going to have a situation where you are going to be the joke of world athletics. And he looked at me, realized I wasn't kidding, and he left the track. Unbeknown to me, I'm being watched and assessed for this international panel. Alan was headhunted, along with six other officials from around the globe, to form a new elite class of starters. Almost overnight, Alan went from dependable national official to a formidable presence on the international scene. 
he and his peers were tasked with developing protocols for the conduct of an international starter. They'd managed the entire start process for major meetings around the world. To this day, Alan remains the lead trainer for the role. Ahead of the Olympics in Tokyo, he made three trips to Japan to train and mentor the local officials. He teaches the fundamentals one must adhere to in order to become a starter of pedigree. So if you think it's just about sticking your hand in the air and pulling the trigger, prepare to be educated. Objective number one, according to Alan, is to go unnoticed, which, admittedly, is asking a lot for someone holding a gun in public. I do enjoy, for most of the time, being Mr Anonymous. You know, I'll come back and my friends will say, oh, were you with such and such? And I'll say, oh, yeah, oh, we didn't see you. Go. If you see me, it's usually because something's gone wrong. Another of Alan's golden tips is to study the idiosyncrasies of each athlete before they take to their blocks. This allows starters to spot when showmanship crosses the line into gamesmanship. There's a game that they often play of sighting each other out, but there's also, they have their own idiosyncratic preparation. And part of what I have to do is judge, are they playing games or are they doing what's natural? Usain Bolt's crowd-pleasing theatrics were known worldwide, but it's up to Alan to know the pre-race traits of the entire field. Whether that be kissing crucifixes, closing eyes, exhaling loudly or just hanging back. That way, he can ensure that the race is won via feats of athleticism rather than unsporting tricks of the mind. Alan used the example of the 1992 Olympic gold medalist Linford Christie, still the fastest male sprinter Britain has ever produced. Would always be, you'd say, on your marks and Linford wouldn't move. Now, if you were an inexperienced starter, you would actually you could warn him for not following the instruction. But over time, you realise when everyone else has gone forward and they're getting ready, Linford then zooms forward and he's the first one ready. He goes straight down. It's studying the athletes. Alan's discretion was again unsure at the 2014 European Championships in Zurich. French athlete Cindy Bio was among the favourites in the 100-metre hurdles. Lining up in lane seven ahead of the first semi-final, Bio chewed gum ferociously, but she hadn't taken a single step forward almost 10 seconds after Alan had called the athletes to their marks. He concluded that her actions had disrupted the field and he called for a reset. Stand up, ladies, please. As the athletes walked back behind their blocks, what followed was a rare chance for Alan to go off script. Viewers watching all over Europe heard the jarring combination of an authoritative Geordie voice at an athletics meet in Switzerland, speaking French. And will respond to the instructions when given immediately. Comprenez-vous, mademoiselle? Merci. Cindy Bio smirked like a mischievous schoolgirl, but she had no hesitation in taking her mark at the second time of asking. She comfortably won the heat, and she went on to claim a silver medal. Meanwhile, Alan's language skills may not have earned him a gig as a Eurovision Song Contest host, but it did enough. And it caught the attention of BBC commentator Steve Cram. Unbeknown to me, Crammy upstairs in the BBC on live commentary says, well, that's Alan Bell. I don't know whether that's posh Johnny or poor French. <laughs> there are purists that say I shouldn't have done that. There are purists that will tell you I should have just shown her a yellow card because she's supposed to know the rules. I'm not about that. I just I, I just think at that situation, I wanted to impose my standards. But more importantly, I wanted the other athletes to understand 
I'm fair to everybody. Fair is the word that Alan repeats more than any other when talking about his career in athletics. It's one that underpins his ethos as a starter. He prides himself on a reputation for being consistent and, as he puts it, scrupulously fair. Even if that requires making unpopular decisions, like at the 2021 British Championships, when he disqualified top 100 metre contender Zarnell Hughes. Disqualify the athlete in lane three. That is a real shame for the championships and for Zarnell Hughes, the European champion, because he looked fabulous. I have a sneaking feeling he might have gone sub-10 in the final. Hughes contested the decision after the race, but it was a waste of his time. After all, he was protesting with the chief starter who, in 2011, made arguably the most unwelcome call in athletics history. The eyes of the world on Usain Bolt to see if he can produce just another dramatic chapter in the most spectacular sprinting career. Two years after his stunning world record in the Olympia Stadion, Usain Bolt was once again lining up in the 100-metre final of the World Athletics Championships. This time the venue was Daegu Stadium, South Korea. On a sultry August evening, the Jamaican was facing an almost entirely different field to that which he destroyed in 2009. Other than Bolt, only one man, Daniel Bailey of Antigua and Barbuda, had returned from that historic night in Berlin. Actually, make that two. For Alan Bell was once again the man with the bang. The false start rule had again been tweaked. There was no longer any clemency for a first offender. Now there'd be no doubt and no margin for error. Anyone who false started was out. He is absolutely loving out there. He's doing his showmanship bit. He's waving to the crowd. You know he's ready. With the pre-race theatre over, all eight finalists took to their blocks with minimal fuss. Daegu, like Berlin, was expectant. This city wanted its own page in sporting history, and Bolt was ready to write it. 25 years old, and he looks as though he's found some fabulous form as he's come here to these championships. A hush descended. Enter Alan, stage right. You might find this hard to believe, but first of all, I take no notice of who's in the race. That's irrelevant. We're talking sprints. You've got eight bodies. End of. You don't think about, God, that's Usain Bolt. God, I'm crapping myself. Or, that's Dwayne Chambers. That's the British champion. Oh, I've got to give him wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Just like the sprinters, in the moments before a race, Alan is in his own zone, deep in focus. I've got the best 30-second concentration span in the world. Right? Outside that 30 seconds, I'm all over the place. But I think that's quite important to be able to switch on and switch off. Only once he deems the time right does he summon the athletes. Contrary to what one might expect, given the pressures of television scheduling which allocates seven minutes slots for each 100 metre race, the intricate pauses between commands are for the starter to dictate in the moment. There is no standardised time between the word set and the pulling of the trigger. It's an instinctive call based on the race and the occasion. And the real skill in my job is you wait until everybody is at the pinnacle of their set position and they have all been absolutely still in that position. Nobody has moved up and kept going. And when you're happy, they've all had that opportunity to get into the still position and concentrate, you pull the trigger. The key thing for you to consider is 
the chemistry between the nine people involved, i.e. eight athletes, and the person with the gun is unique to that event. So there can't be a prescribed time. It has to be entirely based upon what I see and the judgment of readiness based on my experience. Then I pull the trigger. And you know, it's fair to say probably at a major event between set and pulling the trigger, I'm holding my breath. I'm holding my breath because I'm praying I don't have to pull the other trigger. In Daegu, Alan's prayers went unheeded. The beep that only he hears if the starting block sensors are disturbed sounded especially shrill that night, like the tones of a flatlining heart monitor. The noise meant only one thing, and Alan's left index finger pulled the trigger on his recall gun. I think Usain Bolt's full started. No. I can't believe it. I think Usain Bolt almost unthinkably. Although Alan already knew who was at fault, he waited for the computer printout before confirming the reason for the crowd's anguish. It showed that the athlete in lane five had moved before the gun had even fired. It was as clear a false start as one could see at the highest level. Well, I can hardly believe what I'm seeing. While fans squealed in disbelief, the media made hay. It'll take them a second or two to reset as as, uh, now the card is being delivered to Usain Bolt. Within a millisecond, there must have been 150 cameramen on the track looking to milk his embarrassment. Now, you know, I've got to know him quite well as a human being and he's a resolute, determined character, but he's also a really decent guy and he didn't deserve that so i sent the koreans i said you know get him off the track put him somewhere where a camera can't get to him and you know let him let him have his remorse dumbfounded pundits almost pleaded for bolt to protest such an obvious error must have been down to an external factor a photographer's flash a false bang from the crowd something anything to keep the biggest name in athletics in the field for the biggest event in the sport. You've got to protest it. I mean, even though it's it's blatant, absolutely, it's a false start, yes. but you've got to protest it just in case there's something, cameras flicking, something yes. that you can say, hey, that threw me off. They may not let it back in, but in all honesty, if you say in bulk, maybe they would. Unbelievable what yes. we're seeing. Alan, naturally, was unmoved by sentiment or script. His decision was final. Bolt was blunted, but Alan's next battle was already commencing. Korean broadcasters were wary that the drama would play havoc with their scheduling. They were desperate to get the race back underway. And I said, no chance. I said, there's seven people out there now who think they can win a gold medal. I'm going to give them every chance to compose themselves again. An unimpressed floor manager stood only inches away from Alan, insisted that the experienced starter recommence the race immediately. He's getting it in his ear. I'm only linked to the equipment, right, thankfully. He's getting it in the ear from his director upstairs and he's given me jip, you know? And and I just turned to him, I said, there, you start the race. I handed him the guns. And he just sort of looked at me. I said, we wait. Bolt's training partner, Johan Blake, was the ultimate beneficiary, becoming the youngest ever 100-metre world champion at 21 years old. But for Alan, the story didn't end there. As he did at the end of every day of competition, He'd arranged to meet his wife, Leslie, 
also an athletics official in the VIP area. I'm walking up to Rosette and she's got a face like thunder. She's looking at me and I'm thinking, she knows I have no choice. I had to disqualify them guy. And then I suddenly realise. Alan couldn't believe what he was saying. She's sitting with Usain's mum and dad. And I thought, oh my God. So as I got closer, Mrs. Bold stood up. And I mean, she's a big lady. Usain got his mum's jeans, believe me. And I just thought, well, oh, she's gonna let rip at me. And you know, she was fantastic. All she said to me was, he made a mistake, you know? And that put me at ease. And then I just said to her, I said, well, I hope I hope he can get it out of his system ready for the 200. And she just looked at me, she said, he'll be ready. Six days later, Alan's recall gun stayed silent for the 200 metre final. As the slowest runner out of the blocks, the 100 metre false start had clearly had an effect on Bolt. But he powered around the bend as only he could, and he comfortably took gold. Afterwards, a relieved world champion said, I made a mistake, but I came back to show the world that I'm still the best. Having met the Jamaican's family only moments after he rubber-stamped their son's bitter disappointment, Alan attributes Bolt's indefatigable spirit to a good upbringing. They were great with me. I, I remembered that the way they managed them, handled themselves in that situation really told me how, how he conducted himself. He'd obviously got a lot of that from his family background, that, that collectiveness and, and stability. Alan admits that his ruling in Daegu was the toughest moment of his starting career. The lowest moment was probably the disqualification of Usain Bolt. Not because it was him at all, but because having to disqualify an athlete in the final of the World Championships, it could have been any of them, but the fact that it's an athlete who, like all of the people in that final, they might have worked for 10, 12, 15 years just to be there. It's it's sad that you have to you have to apply the rule. Take no pleasure in it at all. Take no pleasure in any red card to any athlete, whether it's number 13 in the Tyneside Track League or whether it be somebody in the World Championship. He may not have been the most popular person with the fans, the media, or even his wife that day, but there were at least some in attendance who appreciated Alan's stringent application of the rules. The three medalists, with Walter Dix and Kim Collins joining Blake on the podium, had no complaints. Walter Dix, who got the silver medal, and I'd had a history with Walter Dix. I'd, I'd actually, I'd had to formally warn him about his conduct in an event somewhere in Europe, because he, he was, it could be difficult, all right? I'll say no more than that. So he wins a silver medal and he's walking through the mixed zone where the, the, the press interview them. The American had an Olympic medal around his neck, but the media only wanted to ask him about one thing. What do you think about Bull being disqualified? And Dix, being Dix, just said, hey man, I've just won a silver medal. Okay, what do you think about the starter's decision? He said, well, he said, I'm going to tell you, that starter gave everybody their best chance and I've won a silver medal and he walked away and I thought right he doesn't know me but what was really important that wasn't about me that was about that acknowledgement that officials have a job to do in the summer of 2022 Alan is back in action on home soil at the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham make sure to keep an eye or at least an ear out for him as ever he'll be hoping to only use one of his guns but you can be sure if a second bang is heard that nobody no matter who they are 
is getting a second chance. Certainly now, with me, I rock up at a major meeting and the big boys will look and see who's got the gun in the hand and know we get away with nothing now, you know? Thank you for listening to Unsung. This episode was written and narrated by Alexis James. It was produced by me, Matt Cheney, and artwork is by Matt Walker. If you enjoyed the podcast, then be sure to get a copy of the new book, Unsung, Not All Heroes Wear Kits. Written by Alexis, it's published by Pitch Publishing and is available from all of your favourite book outlets. Along with more from Alan Bell, you'll be able to read never-before-told tales from Formula One mechanics, football interpreters, Olympic snowmakers, rugby medics, anti-doping officials, and more from sports' unheralded heroes. Head to unsungbook.com for more information. And finally, don't forget to follow and subscribe to the podcast to be the first to know about all future episodes. Until next time on Unsung. Unsung.